here, and thank you for joining us on AVM Alliance, a pediatric stroke podcast for families and friends whose lives have been affected by traumatic brain injury, brain vessel disease, or stroke. The purpose of this podcast is to focus on the kid side of brain injury with honest talk, news, information, and discussion for our community. Being a parent of a medically complex child is an extremely difficult path to suddenly find yourself on. I'm Raylene Lewis, and my son Kyler suffered a hemorrhagic stroke at age 15. Thank you for joining us. So today we're going to be talking with guest Sherry Logan, who started the AVM Research Foundation with her husband, Mark. And we're going to end with a short discussion on the second half of chapter one of our current focus book, Suffer Strong by Catherine and Jay Wolf. But before we get started, I wanted to let everyone know that the American Stroke Association, which is a branch of the very well-known American Heart Association, has moved up their timeline for their Stroke Hero Awards and are now accepting nominations through December 6th of this year. Now, earlier, my son won the Pediatric Award for 2022. So do you know another Stroke Hero? The American Stroke Association's Stroke Hero Awards annually recognize everyday people who have shown resilience and used their experience as a stroke survivor, caregiver, advocate, or group to help others. So go on their website, www.stroke.org slash hero awards, and consider nominating yourself or someone you know by December 6th. The AVM Research Foundation's mission is to raise funds for AVM awareness with their biggest goals to create a way for early detection and to find safer treatment for those affected by brain AVMs. The foundation was created after Ryan Logan, who was 11 years old at the time, was told by doctors that no treatments were safe for his complex grade 4 brain AVM. The doctors simply told the Logan family to let their son Ryan simply live his life, and a year later, Ryan suffered a brain hemorrhage. Sherry and Mark don't want any more families to have to go through what their child and family have gone through, so they started the AVM Research Foundation in Houston, Texas, with the help of Ryan's doctor, Dr. Rock Chin, who specializes in brain vessel disease. Together, they are determined to find a cure for brain AVMs. This is their story. Hi, Sherry. Thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you for having me. So I understand that you started the AVM Research Foundation. Is that right? Yes. My husband and I founded it in 2016. Can you tell me a little bit about what brought all that about? Yes. So my son, Ryan, he is now 20. But when he was 11, actually really more like 10, he'd gotten a concussion in in football. But several months later, it was still kind of hanging around and he just kept complaining, kept complaining. And they were like, well, he shouldn't really be having these headaches. He was having, but they were extreme headaches and they weren't all the time. It's probably every six months, to be honest. For 18 months, we went to probably every doctor known to mankind and no one could figure it out. We finally went to this one doctor and he said, go to this neurologist. He will find out what is going on. And I knew something was going on because then he kind of stopped having the headaches, but every day he would have, I can't see out of my left eye for like a little bit. And I'm thinking, that's just so weird. But, you know, finally had this neurologist um, diagnose him that day, he called me into the office and said, yeah, there's something wrong with his MRI and MRA. And basically he was diagnosed with a grade four right occipital AVM. 
but it was too big to do anything. They said it was too dangerous to do anything, and it was diffused all through his whole head. So, can can you tell me what does diffuse mean? Because well, there's two different types of AVMs, right? There's ones that are really compact, and yes. then a diffuse AVM is not. Is that right? Yeah, it's it's basically has a bunch of little like feeders, kind of just hanging around everywhere. Not a perfect ball, you know, kind of mm-hmm. tentacles, I guess you could say, just kind of everywhere. And so it just makes it that much harder to remove. Plus, it was um, in his vision area and all that. So um, we started saying, okay, what kind of, what kind of, you know, research is out there? And really, there's there wasn't really hardly anything. And there definitely isn't one place that just is doing AVM. You know, a lot of them do the hemorrhagic strokes and the AVMs and the aneurysms because they really all go together. And Ryan ended up having so many, they lo- they just stopped counting at eight. But Eight aneurysms? Oh, yeah. Oh, but they, um, yeah, so it was, it was scary. But what happened was, um, you know, we started kind of looking around. You know, the doctor said, I, w- I wouldn't do anything because the risks are pretty good you know, that something's going to happen, or if you wait, technology might come around. But that's, that's just scary, because that's a ticking time bomb um, in in your kid's head. So you even went to you even went to the Texas Children's Hospital to the research department? Yes, yes, we were going, I used to volunteer there as a bluebird in the uh, pediatric neurology clinic, ironically, Uh, a friend of mine was really into it. And she Uh, It just sounded like something, you know, that I'd like to do. So I was, she said, well, let me, um," after he was diagnosed, she said, let's go down and talk to the head research guy at Texas Children's. So I was like, sure, you know, kind of, kind of just maybe asking him questions. And so I went into his office with my friend and I said, well, have you ever heard of an AVM? And he said, no. And I thought, well, there's definitely no research going on here. (laughs) (laughs) Not if they haven't heard of it. (laughs) So, which was, didn't surprise me. Um, I said, well, how, how do you get like research started? And he said, well, honestly, basically you just get a bunch of parents that get together and decide that they're going to do something. And that's kind of like, okay, I guess that's what I'm going to have to do. Then he had, uh, back to how we kind of formed it. He had a brain bleed spontaneously, a small one, um, in 2012. So he was diagnosed in 2011. And then he had a brain bleed in 2012. And he ended up spending three days in the hospital. And he took him about a month, but he recovered pretty much fully. Thank God. So then the doctors were like, you know what, we really need to do something about this. This thing's unstable. And we went on the search again. We didn't want to find someone that was like, oh, I'll operate on him." you know, I mean, but we just kind of wanted to know what our options were out there, just reach even further. Um, Cause it's really a horrible situation to have to decide what to do because pretty much as you know, you can get 10 different doctors with 10 different recommendations. So Absolutely. it's, it's really, it's really just sad that you just have to take the information that you have and make the best decision as a parent. We had talked to the pediatric neurosurgeon and he was not interested. He was, he focused mostly on, cancer in children. But he said, I bet you Dr. Rock Chin would be interested. So we kind of had that in our ear and he ended up being Ryan's uh, 
long story short, he was um, on the operating table to do the embolization. Uh, the AVM shut down by itself. Um, you know, he was in a coma for six weeks. While he was in ICU in the pediatric intensive care unit, uh, my husband started talking to him. Dr. Chen said, yes, I, I've been wanting to do research on AVMs for at least 10 years, but I do not have the resources, the money. So we just thought, you know, at this point, we thought his AVM was gone and it probably wouldn't help him, but we wanted to help others and to not let this be in vain and do, you know, try to help. It was kind of our way of coping. So anyways, that's how, that's how it began. It's still just my husband and I pretty much. We do a golf tournament every year and then we have a crawfish boil in the spring. Um, so at and this the point, money from both of those are, are what goes to fund the ABM yes, Research yes. Foundation? Yes, we don't we don't have any paid employees. It's it's really not because we don't want to. It's just we can't afford it. <laughs> but um, so all the money goes um, straight to our AVM research. He's hired two PhDs and he's hiring more. At this point, since 2016, we've been able to give him one million thirty thousand dollars. Wow! Yeah, yeah. What an accomplishment! One million. Yeah, it, it's it sounds like a lot, and it is, but the research is it's just so expensive. It's it's just silly. Anyone that's ever given to our foundation, thank you. We need it. It's really it's exciting because a, a couple of years after we started, Dr. Chen was able to be the first person in the entire world to make a true AVM in an animal model, which just happens to be a, mo- a mouse. So like, so he created one on purpose? Yes. And this one is just like the one that would be in a human being. So he knows that the AVMs are formed between four and eight weeks in utero. Now, there are very rare cases that are genetic, mm-hmm. like 1%, and it's like the HHT and, and a couple of other different things, but that's extremely rare. Yeah, Rasa one, I know is another one. Yeah, yeah. And so most of them are not. Um, but it is a gene that goes haywire. Not necessarily pass it down from generation to generation, but we all have genes and they um turn on and can be turned on, turned off, and this one just goes a little crazy. And I think of it as the the David and Goliath almost, because we're just a small, we're just mom and dad. We don't have much, <laughs> but I just feel like, you know, God's really blessed us and working really hard through our foundation. It can't go fast enough because it seems like most of the time it's children that you hear about. And and Dr. Rock Chen's goal, his goal, if I understand when I talked to him, was to, once he knows how to make them, then try to come up with a way to reverse engineer to make them go away. Is that right? Yes. Yes. So if you, if the gene can be turned on, it can be turned off. So they're trying to find the sequencing of events, you know, that kind of go to turn it on and to turn it off so that maybe, you know, a medication or something can make it turn it off and then it can just shrink by itself. It'll just basically disintegrate. That would be amazing. <laughs> and no, and another thing that I'm really, really an advocate for is earlier detection, because if you don't know you have it, you you can't do anything about it. And that's just how most people find out, as you know. Yep, Kyler was 15 when his AVM ruptured, and we had no idea prior to that. No, no. He mentioned this one time. I do not know if 
this is, I mean, I don't think he's, he's working on that part yet, but he is thinking, you know, it could be at one point where we swab a baby's mouth with the Q-tip when they're born and you'll be able to see. Wow. You know, he's like that. That's kind of what the goal is. Something like that, because, you know, you can't be (laughs) as as much as I want to. I don't think this would ever happen. Yeah. Your newborn baby, we're going to put them under anesthesia and put them in an MRI. MRI, Yeah. (laughs) Practical application there. Not so much. Yeah. No, no mom is going to do that. But (laughs) so hopefully something like that will be available. Now, really important. Um, Mm -hmm. Tell me how Ryan's doing. So he was going to, he was 11 years old, right? When you found out when he was 12 is when he had kind of the same thing, like Kyler, more of a micro bleed, one that you could recover fairly well. Um, And then that's when they said, okay, we're going to do embolizations. And then after a couple embolizations, we're going to remove the AVM. And so it, it's yes. when they went in for the embolization that basically his AVM just kind of like exploded in his head. Is that what happened or? Basically, yes. Mm-hmm. What a blessing that we had Dr. Chen there, you know, yeah. to be able to save him literally on the operating table. But yeah, now, how, so how is Ryan like, now? You know, I look back at videos and think, wow, I don't even hardly remember those days because probably I like to forget about it. But um, he's doing good. He does have, um, he's got drop foot on the left side because the avian was on the right side. Um, he can't use his left arm still. And it's been eight years this year. Um, but he, um, as far as he has short-term memory issues, uh, spatial awareness and motor planning, such as he would look at his toothbrush and know, hey, this is to brush my teeth, but I don't know the steps to do that. Like, what do I do first? Like that kind of stuff. That's what motor planning is. And, um, that's, that's mainly his main problems. He's had four brain surgeries total. His last one was in 2019 where they removed the entire AVM finally. And they also separated the right side of his brain from the left side of his brain because he had been having constant seizure activity for years. No medication was stopping it. And so basically if you continue to do that, as one doctor put it, just kind of turned to mush after a lot of years of constant seizure activity. So he doesn't have seizures anymore and he's AVM free. Anyways, so he had to learn to walk and talk and eat and go to the bathroom. So he didn't talk for five months. He didn't walk for seven months. He had a feeding tube and was in diapers for a year. So he has come a long, long way. And we have tried, I know we talked about this, but we have tried every. <laughs> thing you could imagine known to mankind for this child and uh right now we're doing stem cells and that's that's really helped actually with um his memory and his cognitive issues so but how did you decide you know what to do because i think anytime there's a brain injury as parents we just freak out because i'll never forget one of his neurosurgeons dr day i was like i feel like I'm darned if I do and darned if I don't. I don't know what to do. And this doctor said, you know what? You're not. He said, what you do is you take all of the doctor's advices and you put them all together like, you know, on paper, whatever you want to do. And he goes, and then you make the best decision that you can make with what you are given and with what you know. And he said, and if he 
has a brain bleed before he comes in for the surgery or, you know, if he, something happens during the surgery or whatever, he says, just know that you did the best you could in what you thought was in the best interest of your child. And that really gave me a lot of relief. And I thought, you know what, that's true. I mean, I can't control everything and this is what we chose to do. And it just made me feel better. We're eight years into it. So once we're done, we were kind of done with trying every kind of modality that the doctors knew about. We started branching off into, you know, more natural, you know, we have a hyperbaric oxygen chamber that has really helped with his spasticity and his cognition. The best thing is talk to people that have been down that road and see what all they've tried. And, you know, every person's different too. What works on one may not work on another. So if somebody wanted to learn about the AVM Research Foundation, how would they reach you? What's the best way for them to 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 learn about? Yeah, you could probably go to our website and it has contact information as well on there. And our website's www.research and then the number 4 ryan r y a n .org. And it's funny because it's really not for Ryan. That's what we originally named it, but it's really for everybody that is diagnosed with this rare disease, because, you know, it's not going to help, help my son, but I mean, if it could just help one person, it would just be amazing. I know, I know you're trying so, so very much. And I just want to say that definitely the AVM and aneurysm community thanks you and your husband uh, and your whole family for oh. all that you guys have been doing to try to help find a cure for this rare disease. We're so happy and blessed to do it. And there's a lot of other good organizations um, like, you know, TAF and the Joe Necro Foundation and all them that are incredible stuff too. So it's a group effort. That's right. It takes a village, right? It does. It takes a village. Well, thank you so, so very much for joining us today, Sherry. I really appreciate your time and um, all the best luck to Dr. Rock Chen and um, and and the team there for the AVM well, research. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for all you do too. Now, in the second half of chapter one, Catherine says that disability can seem like weakness that keeps someone from living their best life. But that isn't true at all. And that for her, telling her story helped reinforce the healing of her own broken heart. I'm an optimist for sure. But honestly, I identify most as a realist. And many times I have felt like the experiences that my family was going through was much more in line with being cursed rather than being blessed. It's especially so when there are little reminders of how my life before Kyler's stroke, before the devastating, the ticking time bomb can't be removed, came to be our reality. The little reminders of how things used to be and the reality of how some things are always going to be from now on are totally different and not what I ever wanted. And this, it threatens to bring me down mentally. But I've been working really hard to change my mindset, to regroup with what I know to be true and to find a new path, focusing on what is the next right thing to do now. And Catherine states in chapter one, when you or your loved one's body and brain doesn't work as it should, the trivialities of life tend to fall by the wayside. I would say this is so, so very true. Even with my work before Kyler's stroke, I would take other people's problems and make them my own. 
I would care about things that now just seem trivial and stupid. What I worry about has changed dramatically as well as how I view the world and how I think about what is important. And I think that this is the way it is for pretty much anyone who has dealt with suffering. I can't deny that the change in my priorities have definitely been a good thing out of a bad situation. Today's quote is by Ann Landers. She says, nobody gets to live life backward. Look ahead. That's where your future lies. Opportunities are usually disguised as hard work, so most people don't recognize them. I always like to end our time together with a motivational song recommendation. I don't play the songs because of copyright laws, but there have been many times on this journey where a song really spoke out to me and helped me with my day. Today, I'm recommending you check out the song Fight Song by Rachel Platten from her 2016 album Wildfire. Whether other people believe it or not, even with wrecking balls inside your brain, you know you still have a lot of fight left in you. So play your fight song and be strong. And as always, if you have questions, have a topic you would like to hear about or a great song or motivational quote, don't be shy. Share it in the comments and let us know. And if you liked what you heard today, please go online and rate this podcast. Remember, you're never walking this journey alone. Take care, y'all.